You're listening to the Velocity Church Podcast. We hope this message encourages you, inspires you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. You know, we have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in a lot of ways, the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell us a lot about what Jesus did. And what we're starting to see as we study in John is it's telling us who Jesus is. And is there really a more important question in 2021 to answer? Who is Jesus? The answer to that question has the power, I believe, to totally change your life forever. And so we're going to continue on through this study series. We're going to pick up where we left off uh, in John chapter 1, verse 19. And uh, we're going to talk about this man named John the Baptist. Now, you might have heard of John the Baptist if you went to, if you grew up in church, you went to Sunday school. Uh, you might have this picture of John the Baptist as being like this uh, very polished guy. And I, I remember, for whatever reason, like in Sunday school and growing up, you just had this picture of John the Baptist being like, here comes John the Baptist, <laughs> right? And, and burr, 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 like the horns blowing, like the trumpets blowing, like here he comes. And, and kind of this like polished guy. And it really, you know, honestly couldn't be further from the truth. John was not this polished guy. Um, Now, he was a pretty like wild. The Bible talks about uh, he had literally had like camel's hair, um, bearded. He, He ate his diet was locust and honey. Um, you know, like an old prophet's diet. He, he didn't quite fit the mold of like what the religious leaders at that time really would want someone to fit as they're out preaching and teaching. And so we're going to uh, dig into this today. So John chapter 1, verse 19 says, Now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And that question right there stands out. Why... Why are priests and Levites sent to question John and ask him who he is? Well, we, we kind of hit on a little bit here. Um, they, they wanted to figure him out. You know, he, he didn't fit the mold. He didn't fit their process and, and how they would want him to, to fit, right? The, the religious leaders believed that, like, you had to, you know, they, they were the holy people. You had to follow a certain standard. You had to, you had to measure up, right, as, as one of the religious leaders and to them, John kind of, you know, didn't fit the mold and kind of crossed over and boundaries in certain areas. And so they didn't quite think that he fit the mold. They're trying to figure him out. And what I've realized in life is oftentimes whenever someone tries to step out of the norm, what often happens is, is when people see that, it makes people uncomfortable and they want to try to figure it out. Like, what are they up to? You know what I mean? What are they doing? Like, it makes people uncomfortable sometimes to step out of the norm. It's just the way we think. You were kind of, you know, almost in some ways wired to just in, in condition to kind of think like that and think culturally. Um, and, and, and so they're going, who are you? Who is this John? It says that he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So when they ask him, John, who are you? It's kind of interesting to me that he answers that question with who he isn't. Like, John is very, very clear. Like, I am not the Christ. Like, John has this this organic following, and he wants to be crystal clear. Like, I'm not the Messiah. And what what we're going to see as we we look at John and his life is that 
he's, he's very humble, very, you know, shows great humility, but he's always a reflection and he's pointing back to his mission. And so he confessed, did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked, and they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Now you might go, okay, well, why would they ask him if he's Elijah? You know, well, where, where does that come from? Why would they ask him that question? Um, so in Malachi, which, you know, was, is the last book of the Old Testament, would have been around 400 years before John the Baptist would be here on the scene. And uh, in Malachi, it was prophesied that when, when the Messiah comes, that Elijah will announce his approach. And so Jews had believed for years that literal Elijah that was under King Ahab, like literal Elijah from the Old Testament was going to come back and he was going to announce that the Messiah is here. And so that's why they ask, are you Elijah? And he answers no. Um, That's where that question comes from. Now we know that Jesus will later say that the prophecy in Malachi of Elijah announcing his approach has been fulfilled and it was fulfilled through John the Baptist in power and spirit of Elijah. And so that's why they ask him, are you Elijah? He says, I'm not Elijah in the context you think I am. Meaning, I'm not, I'm not Elijah. I'm John the Baptist. I'm not Elijah from the Old Testament. Um, are you the prophet? He answered, no. And they asked him, well, then who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And they're, they're, they're pushing. They're like, come on, man. We've got to have... We've got to have something to take back to the religious leaders and to the ones who sent us originally. Who are you? Who are you? And listen to what John says. He says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Now, this is, this is John the Baptist who we know that Jesus says, out of all men uh, born natural, John, there's none greater than John. There's, there, there's none greater. You go, none greater? Like, what about King David? What about the prophet Elijah, Elisha, Moses, uh, Abraham? None greater than John, John the Baptist. And he answers just in, in just complete, complete humility. He says, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Once again, they're asking him, who are you? And you can see he's telling them, hey, look, this is my mission. This is what I'm here for. It's, it's not about who I am, really, but rather it's about who I'm here to announce. And he says, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. I started thinking about you know, the idea of the voice of one. And how many opportunities do we have in our life, wherever we find ourselves, you know, in our sphere of influence in life, how many opportunities do we have to be the voice of one, wherever we're at? You know, culture kind of uh, tries to indoctrinate our minds and, and, and make us, you know, condition our minds to think a certain way. And there's this like there's this this idea that in order to be influential, in order to like lead or in order to progress, you kind of just have to blend with everyone else. And and, and John, that the complete opposite of what John did. 
And they're pushing this on him. Who are you? Who are you? He says, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. We have the opportunity to be the voice. Wherever you find yourself, whatever sphere of influence you have, whether it's school, uh, maybe it's in your home, maybe it's family or extended family or relationships, friendships, uh, maybe it's work, your coworkers, wherever you find yourself, we have the opportunity to be that voice, to be that voice that stands for truth. And often, you know, being the voice means that, that, that we, we're, we're not always going to be comfortable. It's not always going to be comfortable to be the voice. So, and that's okay. Right? There's, there's this idea, I think, that, that a lot of Christians have that, you know, either I've got to be this weird Christian out with a megaphone in the street that's like yelling at people, you know, or, or, or I have to, you know, just kind of blend in with everyone else. And we don't have to live in that, in that reality. I remember when I was, uh, I was at work at a convention in Las Vegas, and I'm walking down the street, and this, this guy, he's got a big sign, and he's got a megaphone, and he's just like yelling at everyone, you know, you're all going to hell. You're, you're going to burn. Like you, you better turn or you're going to burn. And he's like, he's like looking at me in the eyes. He has no idea who I am. He has no idea who anybody is walking around. You're going to burn. And he's just kind of making these, these bold claims. I think Christians think like, oh, is that what witnessing looks like? No, it's not. That, that is an example of a grace killer. That's an example of someone who, who, who does not lead with grace. That's an example of someone who doesn't believe in fullness of grace and truth. And we're not going to reach people that way. So John says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness makes straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Verse 24 says, Now those who were sent were from Pharisees. Who, who are Pharisees? Well, the Pharisees were, you know, the holy people. They were the ones who, you know, never saw a rated R movie. They were the ones who never, never said a cuss word before, right? They, they, were, they seemed to have it all together, but they, they always looked down at people. And uh, they, they would always condemn people. And they knew the law. They knew the Torah. They knew it. They had it memorized, Right, but they would always have this kind of this Pharisaical spirit where they would look down at people who who weren't at their level. And one thing that I've realized is that there's still a Pharisaical spirit today in our culture, in modern culture today. There's still a Pharisaical spirit. Um, and you see it. You see it everywhere, and, and you, you even see it in the church. Right, in some in some situations, you'll see this. This kind of look, I've got to earn my way to get to God, and you've got to do a bunch of, you know, do a bunch of things to to kind of, you know, earn your righteousness, and that's just not the case. That's a Pharisaical spirit. I, I heard this uh, this uh, pastor Chuck Swindoll, who who mentioned this uh, this story. So just follow me on this. Um, he, he said, imagine if your neighbor. Uh, your neighbor that you've known has been paralyzed for the last 30 years. Okay. They've just been paralyzed from head, from head to toe. And, uh, and that's all you've known about your neighbor. And Sunday morning you wake up and you, you're, you wake up because you hear this loud noise coming from outside. You go, well, what's the loud noise? Like what is, and you get frustrated. Like who's up this early? Who's, who's outside Sunday morning like this? And, 
and you walk outside to find your neighbor who was paralyzed is, is riding around on his lawnmower and he's mowing his lawn. Okay. A normal person would look at that and they would go, wow, neighbor, <laughs> what happened? Like you were paralyzed and now you're healed. What happened? A Pharisee would go, hey, neighbor, it's Sunday. Turn off that lawnmower and go back inside. We're not supposed to work today. It's just kind of like an example, like a story of really how they looked at things. And oftentimes, a Pharisaical spirit will overlook the miraculous for the sake of keeping tradition. Overlook like miracle power of God and overlook the supernatural of God for the sake of keeping, in a lot of ways, man-made tradition. Nothing wrong with tradition. There's absolutely nothing wrong. Look, I'm a tradition guy. I love tradition. I mean, we have so many traditions in our family around Christmas time, you know, around Thanksgiving, holidays, different stuff, just different traditions. So I love tradition. But God wants to be more than your tradition. God wants to be more than our tradition. He wants a relationship with us. You know, for me, I grew up a pastor's kid. And uh, whenever you grow up a PK, right, that's what they call us, pastor's kids, PK. Uh, when you grow up a pastor's kid, you go to a lot of different events, go to, you know, some different conferences, things like that, hang out with all the other pastor's kids. As a matter of fact, I met my wife at a small group when we were seven. Like, I grew up in the church, right? And I remember when I, you know, when I got a little bit older, probably around the age of 16 and 17, I remember, um, you know... <laughs> I, I, I was confronted by a guy who's an atheist or agnostic or skeptic or whatever you'd want to whatever you'd want to call him. And by the way, if you're watching this today and you're atheist, agnostic, or you're just skeptical about it, we welcome you here. We're so glad that you're you're watching this today. And he, but he challenged me like on what I believed for the first time, and it's really for the first time I'd never really been challenged with some questions like that. And I remember for me, I began to kind of go down this, uh, this journey of like wrestling through some of these questions. And you know, what I love about my parents in, in, in that time, they didn't smother me right away. Like a lot of parents would go, whoa, 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 why are you asking these tough questions? They allowed me to wrestle through it, and I'm so grateful for it because as I did that, I ended up coming out on the other side with a much deeper relationship, much more personal relationship with Jesus, because I realized that I can't continue to tie my faith to someone else's. I have to like have my own relationship with God. I think there's so many people today who, man, gosh, they're living out this, this life of religion, just kind of going to church, but kind of more out of obligation, maybe even out of tradition, because my grandparents, my great-grandparents went there, and, and we just kind of get into this mode of, of, of doing church because it's a thing to do, and God wants to be more than just our tradition, and you, he, he wants to have a deeper relationship with you. Jesus wants to have an everyday relationship with you, and when you start seeking God in that way and seeing him in that way, he'll begin to reveal himself to you through his word. It'll be clear. And I remember that for myself. Things started to just, light bulbs started to turn on for me. And so I would just tell you today, if you're watching this and you're like, man, I think that's me. You know, take those steps to really seek God and seek a relationship because he wants to have that kind of relationship with you. 
They were sent from the Pharisees. We'll pick up in verse 25. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. Why is he baptizing with water? And and then why are they kind of questioning this? Well, you know, baptism didn't start just randomly with John the Baptist. Uh, Jews would baptize before this. And as a matter of fact, it was a little bit different. What they would do is Jews would baptize whenever Gentile would convert to a Jew. And so baptism was really this ceremonial cleansing that was only for Gentiles converting to Jews. And they would literally make people strip down a religious leader would, would have to be the one to do the baptism. And it was a ceremonial cleansing. They, they, they had to have, uh, you know, perfectly clear, like purified water. And they, the, the religious leader or the, the, um, the, you know, one of the religious leaders would have to do the baptism. And so you can imagine like John, like dreaded, bearded, you know, locust eating wild man John is dunking Jews out in the muddy Jordan River, right? So they're going, whoa, guy, like, wow, you are stepping outside of all the of all the boundaries that we've kind of put up around this, and it's making them uncomfortable. <laughs> and, and so it goes on to say, uh, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you who you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me. And listen to what John says, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. John's like, I'm literally not worthy to, 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 to loose his sandal strap. One of the, the lowest things that you could do right, as a servant is have to get down and loose the sandal strap. And John's like, I'm not even worthy to do that. Like, like, you don't realize, like, this is the Messiah. This is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega in the flesh. That's who we're talking about here. John's like, I'm not even worthy to, to loose his sandal strap. And so it's, it's this constant, like, reflection. It's this constant, you know, John saying, it's not about me. Like, none of this is about me. This is all about me pointing you to the one, to Jesus the Messiah. That's who it's all about. I want to, I want to pray for you today, wherever you're at. Um, I just want to, I just want to lean in and believe that God is going to, if there's any need that needs to be met, uh, whatever it is that God will meet that need. I believe that regardless of when you watch this, there's no time and space that the Holy Spirit can, can literally meet you wherever you're at right now. And so father, I just thank you right now, Lord, for meeting your people. Uh, you're a good God. And I thank you for that. I thank you that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if there, whatever people are going through, Lord, whatever trials or seasons that they're battling or facing, I just pray that they would know that you are with them. You're a close God, and you love them. You love them so much. And God, I thank you for all the things that you're going to do in advance. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right, love you, church. We'll see you guys next week.